St. Francis of Assisi is credited with creating the first nativity scene in the early 1200s in central Italy. And, and uh, what we see today with the nativity, with the angel in the background and Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger and shepherds with some sheep and somewhat anachronistically, the wise men there at the same time with their gifts and then the animals gathered round. That was attributed to the work of St. Francis of Assisi who wanted to create a, a visual focal point during Christmas that would focus us on the worship of Christ more than on secular materialism and gift giving. I guess some things don't change. The hymn that we just sang, The Friendly Beasts, um, and which we have done a sermon series on during Advent, was written around the same time, and probably for the same reason, to help us focus our attention on the nativity scene and on the, the strange elements of that setting in which the one we claim is the king and the inaugurator of the kingdom of God was born. Now, uh, the friendly beasts is uh, oftentimes considered a children's hymn. And so when we uh, started the sermon series, my idea because I'm kind of childlike and I love this hymn. I was a little bit worried that people would have difficulty entering into the, the deep meaning, what I think is deep meaning in this hymn because uh, they would have maybe grown up watching Mr. Ed the talking horse and would have a little bit of trouble imaginatively entering into the story of these animals telling about the gifts that they gave to the Christ child. So I hope you're able to suspend your, uh, your skepticism long enough to imagine what was being symbolized by the story told in this hymn. So just to review, the donkey carries the mother, the pregnant woman from Bethlehem, uh, or to Bethlehem from Nazareth, and, and thus she, she receives support through the donkey's uh, labor and strength. And, and the cow, uh, these are all depicted beautifully on the, on the uh, cloth here. Uh, the cow sacrifices eating out of a nice clean trough and so that the baby and the mother can have rest uh, with the baby lying safe in the manger, safe and secure. The sheep uh, provided his wool for a blanket to warm the child and thus gave warmth and affection and the, dove, the doves cooed the baby to sleep and they covered all of the ambient noise of the stable and the world around with soothing rhythms and sounds of love and affirmed that that child was connected to a caring world. And these gifts of support, of security, of affection, and of affirmation of connection are what made them friendly beasts. And in a very significant way, they presaged Christ's friendship for us and the way in which Christ chose to manifest his work in the world. Support, 
security, love, and connection. There's no doubt about it, we're really all indebted to this nativity scene and the creation of it and its replication over centuries in many churches and uh, in homes too. Because it would be hard otherwise for it to sink in as well what a strange birth this is for a king. But the friendly beasts and their gift giving, I think symbolized very well three important things about the character of the kingdom that this infant king would inaugurate. And I wanna say briefly something about each one. First of all, in the kingdom of God, the well-being of humanity is intricately linked to the well-being of all life and to the environment. It's really significant that the animals are the bearers of gifts here. If you were listening to the passage, the prophecy from Isaiah in chapter 11 that John read, you would have heard the strange images of animals normally in nature at enmity with one another, or at least capable of violence against one another, the wolf and the lion and the lamb all lying down together. One of the affirmations about the character of the kingdom of God is that it was a peaceable kingdom and that the, the forces that normally divide and make us want to go out and compete with each other are laid to rest. And the animals are such a tangible sign of that. As vulnerable creatures who have come and found peace with one another, their gifts brought to the manger are a sign of connection. The well-being of the whole world is linked together. About 50 years ago, well, exactly 50 years ago, on a Sunday that was also a Christmas Eve, Martin Luther King Jr. preached his last sermon uh, before, his last Christmas sermon before he was killed. And in that sermon, he um, spoke the words that are often uh, linked to him, where he talked about his vision of a peace, the peaceable kingdom, the birth of which we celebrate on Christmas. And he said, we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. And we are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. Martin Luther King Jr. was best known for fighting for uh, racial justice, but increasingly and throughout his life, although his work was focused on that, he was supportive of and reaching out to others who were working on environmental justice, on labor justice, on even um, justice related to militarism and overcoming militarism because King fundamentally grasped that the kingdom of God is meant to be well-being for us holistically, man, woman, animal, plants, the environment. Although 
King probably didn't have any idea of what we might face today. Nevertheless, in this world in which we see the fragility of our connection to the environment, his words are prophetic. And those animals are representing our connection to life beyond ourselves. So the kingdom of God is a reality in which all humanity is linked to the well-being of everything in this world. Second, in the kingdom of God, everyone can contribute to the upholding of justice, compassion, mercy, and righteousness. Uh, Certainly one of the the messages of the story is the animals use whatever they can, however they can, to help invest in the birth of this king and the the beginning of this kingdom. In this passage that uh, John shared from Galatians, there's this incredible uh, affirmation that the Son of God came and gave birth to heirs. If the Son of God came and was born the King and the inaugurator of the new kingdom, we who are heirs of that kingdom are meant to participate in enacting it. And we're given the right to do that. It's very, um, in the little rapid walk through the Old Testament that I've been doing with uh, my Disciple One class. When you walk really fast through all that material in the Old Testament, some big things become very clear. And one of the things that becomes very clear walking through the Old Testament is that the kings of the Old Testament were really extremely determinative of how the fate of the people went. When there were good kings who were acting morally and aligned with God's purposes, then the people did well. When the kings started getting corrupt or chasing after other idols or gods or just disobeying God, the fate of the people was challenged and difficult and and they experienced hardship and suffering. As the king goes, so go the people. And and it seems like all the power and influence is invested in the kings and the prophets bring their messages to influence only those with official power in the face of the king. Something different happens with the kind of king that Jesus is. In fact, the friendly beasts call him Jesus, our brother. The kingdom of God is really more like a kingdom of God, where we all can partake in the kind of power and influence to make justice, righteousness, peace, and mercy happen. Third thing, in the kingdom of God, everyone must contribute to the establishment of justice, righteousness, mercy. I don't know if any of you are Cavs fans. I am. Uh, but uh, sometimes uh, basketball you know, gives you an occasion to use it in a sermon because it's not just about basketball. And um, a few days ago, uh, LeBron James and the Cavaliers were playing the Washington Wizards 
in Washington, D.C., just a few days, um, few days before this. And um, surprisingly, the, the Cavs played very well. It was a good game. It was close. But what got the most kind of media attention right after the game and was the subject of an interview was LeBron's shoes. He was wearing um, two sneakers. One was white and one was black, which was very noticeable as much as he is on camera. And so he was asked about those, squeaker, those sneakers, and he said, you know, they're, they're equality sneakers. And I want to quote him, because um, uh, he said, I thought something that really struck me as kind of profound. <laughs> he said, uh, I, I, I'm wearing these because I just want to make a statement uh, that we as Americans, no matter the skin color, no matter the race, no matter who you are, we all have to understand having equal rights and being able to stand for something, speak up for something, and keeping the conversation going. And, and we're never going to let anyone dictate to us as Americans how beautiful and how powerful we are as a people. Equality is all about understanding our rights and understanding what we stand for and how powerful we are as men, as women, black and white, Hispanic, it doesn't matter your race, whatever the case may be, this is a beautiful country. It struck me as really important to hear. And I, I heard it even differently as I was reading the scriptures and these words about Jesus, our brother, creating heirs to his kingdom. And I thought, as Christians, as people of faith, who come and celebrate the birthday of the king and a character of a kingdom of justice and equity and fairness and mercy, we, we are the ones who must stand up for those principles. And the fate, the fate of this world is not dependent on the kings of this earth but rather on the people, the children of God, with faith acting according to God's agenda. I am, um, uh, we just had Christmas at our house yesterday, and we have um, children in their 20s, and um, they're at that stage in life where they're not having children yet, which is fine, but they're having dogs. And so uh, for the first time, we had three grand dogs in the house. We were learning the etiquette of parent, grandparents to dogs. And um, I noticed that my, my daughter, uh, Sophie, was extremely solicitous of her dog, almost exhaustingly so. He was adopted um, after having been abandoned uh, five years old. And, and so he has some issues. Uh, and she was extremely solicitous about him. And um, I, I kind of thought about maybe giving some advice about that, but um, I've really done better without giving advice. And, uh, but we were having coffee this morning and I um, just brought up the topic of, oh, dogs are kind of like good rehearsal for children. You know, you, you practice how to raise and nurture something. And, and fortunately she said, well, her boyfriend thinks that um, she hovers too much and worries about him too much, which gave me an opportunity uh, to say, well, you know, 
And I think she maybe thought I was a little bit too hands-offish as a mom in some ways. I said, you know, I kind of believe that if you know that somebody knows kind of the principles of, you know, what they should do, what right and wrong are, that, that sometimes you just kind of need to step back and, and let them work through things themselves. If you try to solve everything for them, it kind of betrays a lack of confidence in their ability to work through things themselves. And uh, I said, maybe that's what your boyfriend is thinking, <laughs> which kind of tried to slip me out of the advice mode. And it hit me that God has an incredible amount of confidence in us to share his spirit, the spirit of his son with all of us confidence that we are capable of enacting justice, mercy, compassion, fairness, and making the kingdom real, the kingdom which has no end and was started in the birth of Jesus. And may it be so. Amen.